0: I am a a firm believer that creating a surround sound for consumers is helpful. Leveraging influencers, brand partnerships on top of the the traditional social and Google and affiliates, really having a lot of different places that have similar but maybe slightly different messaging uh, for a consumer.
1: That is the voice of Vivian Chang. She is the new VP of Growth for Direct Consumer at the Clorox Company, a massive family of brands that we use every day. My name is John Kutsir, and my co host Peggy and I were super happy to chat with Vivian on this edition of Clever Tap Engage about marrying old school CPG with new school Direct Consumer, often via mobile. Vivian, so happy to have you here. We are super excited to chat about what you're doing. Now, we want to start at the beginning in a sense because Clorox is over 100 years old. It's the company our parents and maybe our parents' parents knew, but it's very different today. Give us a quick overview, if you would, of what Clorox is today and who your primary customers are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In the last year, year and a half, Clorox has certainly been in the news a lot. So I did not expect that when I joined, but um, it's been really interesting to see and also really lovely to see how Clorox has really tried to step up both in taking care of their consumers and getting product out there as quickly as possible, but then also actually employees too. Um, So it's it's a great place to work. What I didn't realize when I joined is that Clorox is a CPG company like the PNGs and the Unilevers out there. And it just so happens that one of the brands, the brand that is most well known, is also the name of the parent CPG company. So actually, underneath Clorox, we have a whole plethora of other brands, everything from Hidden Valley Ranch to Brita water filters, Burt's Bees, natural skincare products, a whole wellness vertical that the direct-to-consumer group is very actively involved in. But then you also have things like Kingsford Charcoal and uh, kitty litter, so a lot of diversity, which is really interesting. So to answer the consumer question, uh, you really have to look at it at a brand lens. Uh, the, The really nice thing is that through brand persona work, we've been able to identify some audiences, core audiences that span across a number of the different brands. So particularly in that wellness space, both from skincare to supplements, uh, and we've got six different supplements brands underneath the Clorox uh, umbrella from Renew Life Probiotics to Objective Wellness, which is our newest launch brand, Rainbow Light Vitamins. There's a core target of uh, women who are actively involved in their health, they want to live full lives. And so it is a younger, call it millennial target. That's both a target that resonates really well with the current brand, but also uh, one that we believe will grow with the brand over time. And so the millennial female in particular uh, is a core focus for, for a lot of the Cloros brands. Well, you
1: surprised me. I had no clue that Burt's Bees was part of the brand. For instance, I had no clue that Brita was owned by Clorox. When we started doing some research for this, uh, it's impressive.
0: Yeah, I was in the same boat as you <laughs> before <laughs> I joined. And it's really been kind of a great story of seeing how all of these brands come together. And I'm sure we'll get into it in the future. But where I'm really excited is the, is the ability to start bringing together these different brands and really curating for the customer based off of their need, their life stages, taking some of the work out of saying, yeah, you have to go and find what water filter pitcher you might want or water bottle from Brita versus what skincare products from Burt's Bees versus, uh, you know, what supplements you should take. Like, how can we leveraging both data and also our tech experiences and marketing bring a holistic you know, shopping platform and experience and curated products and innovation and all of those things to bear for the consumer.
2: That is very ambitious, too. That's why that's so exciting to have you here on the show, because you have taken, you know, brands and you're building them into experiences. You're making them relevant to consumers. What's involved in taking, you know, a massive CPG business and a bunch of brands, D2C?
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting to think about the history that CPG traditionally has relied on retailers. So the Target, Walmart, Costco, and even Amazon, which was a newer but fast-growing partner to get consumer products out the door. Now you're starting to see these CPG companies want to build direct-to-consumer, and the companies are doing it different ways through innovation studios at P&G, Unilever, through a bunch of acquisitions. Clorox has decided to build an internal team of internal capability, and that's what I am a part of and joined to lead growth from. And the goal is really to say, yes, we still know a lot of sales are gonna go through a retail channel, whether online or in store, but there's gonna be a subset of consumers and a subset of products that make sense to sell online and to ship to consumer homes, Maybe it's subscription offerings. If you think about Brita is a great example of, yes, I have a filter. Why should I have to go think about when to get the filters shipped to my home? So, you know, that's a great use case for CPG company to have direct to consumer. And then same with what I was just saying on, on the supplements, you know, typically it's a 30 day supply of something. So I think we do have to go through it with a fine tooth comb to say which one's make sense to ship to a consumer home, which ones are logistically actually possible. We're not gonna ship giant charcoal bags uh, anytime soon to to someone's home. But then also where are we actually adding value? So
2: um,
0: the process is very much a integrated one of working with the brands closely to figure out what's the innovation, what's the business use case. And then how can our teams actually come in and build those experiences and then also bring in our marketing expertise, thinking about it, not as much from a brand national advertising lens, which is traditionally what CPG brands are great at, is that storytelling and a little bit more into performance. How do we drive conversions? How do we optimize towards conversions?
2: I am fascinated, John. Think about it. Subscription model for consumer CPG brand, right, and it makes sense if you think about it, you know, you can take that step. And you've been quoted as saying that you have a hybrid approach. I guess some of that is what feeds into this. What exactly, however, do you mean by that?
0: Yeah, that's part of what's really exciting about being part of Clorox versus just a D2C startup. And D2C startup, you absolutely have to generate revenue with every dollar that you spend on advertising and it's single-brand focus. Yes, there's the revenue part for D2C, but I think part of what may be even more interesting is how are we helping Clorox acquire first-party data that can be used across different channels and to understand the consumer better? How can we influence product innovation maybe by doing really lightweight product testing and ghost campaigns? And then what are the insights that we're seeing through performance marketing or through the D2C channel that can then help tell the story of why this product needs to be on the shelf at Target, at Whole Foods? And so there's a bunch of ways that we plug in that's beyond just the revenue story. Uh, And so it's partially developing what are these use cases by having conversations internally. Uh, But that's, you know, what I mean by that hybrid approach is thinking about the omni-channel consumer experience and how can we add value across all of those versus purely on a D to C kind of criteria only.
1: What a powerful approach. I mean, yeah. that's super interesting. You've got if somebody who just wants to go to the store and buy it. You've got it. If somebody wants to have a direct relationship with you and automatic reorder, you've got it and you're getting that extra data from that close relationship of how people use your product, how they feel about your product, how they feel about you and your brand and what they want and how often they need to resupply, that's a, that's a gold mine of data that benefits you on both sides of that equation. By the way, I thought I heard a dog there. And if you have a dog, we have to see the dog. i mean, like, the dog passed <laughs> yes. I mean, away. <laughs>
0: no yes, there is definitely a dog. I will bring her in at the end here. She's a uh, passed out on the floor, actually. Oh, <laughs> to me.
1: That's excellent. But back to business here, you are moving from a demographic approach to segmentation to a psychographic approach. Why are you doing that?
0: I think it's partially in response to where consumers are, especially a millennial consumer. They expect to be able to get product from every place and that to have the ultimate inconvenience. But then also it's, there's a lot more research. There's, you know, the role of the brand is pretty important and, you know, from everything to alignment on values of sustainability or diversity and so forth. And so it's, partially trying to tell the story and with the lens of what they care about. Uh, But then also we actually have seen it. So Objective Wellness, which was a newly launched brand a year in, we actually did a bit of a rebrand to target more of this one is a slight shift. It's essentially we started as saying this is a Gen X focused brand. Uh, It's for busy Busy adults who are taking care of kids and have no time to research and to figure out, you know, what supplements and so forth they need to be taking. Uh, we create products that are really convenient. For example, a chocolate that reduces stress because it has ashwagandha in it. Like how easy <laughs> it is
1: chocolate it? <laughs> <reduces stress>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Like how easy is it to just pop it into your mouth, right? Versus having to go, you know, take a pill. Yes. Uh, but we made the pivot to say why are we focusing just on gen x this is actually a story about how to relieve stress in your own life and we're all busy we're all over stretch and so we're really leaning into that story now and instead of defining it by the traditional age and, and gender demos you know what i really like about that
1: it isn't about age there are people at very different age groups who are very similar and very different right I mean it, the people who are into health or outdoors they might be 20 they might be 45 and they might have very similar needs for there so that makes a lot of sense how are you making that transition is is there technology involved is it just mostly mindset as you're moving from this demographic to a psychographic approach it's a lot of
0: um mindset and then I think putting that lens against the creative that we're putting out there and everything from thinking about who do we show in our lifestyle photography uh, to what's the tone that we use in our emails to the consumer. and um, Those are the places we're trying to make that pivot. And then to validate it, we do look at you know, advertising engagement rates and response rates and purchase behavior. Uh, and so it is a combination of those different pieces. The tools-wise, you know, fundamentally, I think those are still very similar. It's still either look-alike targeting off of first-party data or adding in, you know, interests, categories. But we are looking at, you know, I think the creative is what's the filter for who we resonate with. Cool.
2: We hear that a lot. The creative is where it is. It's the core of competitive advantage. It's the core of what engages the customer, gets them excited. You've got this brand story to tell. You have to be sustainable. You have to have values that reflect that. But what does an engaged user for you, for your brands, and this might be different types of engaged users for different types of brands, but overall what do they look like to you how do you identify them
0: yeah you're absolutely right it looks a little bit different based off of the brand based off of also where the products are sold and also the lifestyle the or the life cycle of the brand how far are they on e-commerce versus more of a retail brand so there's a lot of ways to cut it i think fundamentally engaged is someone who is regularly using our product um you know, the ultimate, right, is a loyalist who's out there word of mouth spreading. You know how much they're loving it. Burt's Bees is a great example of that. I'm, you know, I'm actually a Burt's Bees fan way before I joined the company too, so I, I'm firmly in that category. But there's that part of engagement, and then I think there's the more traditional, like marketing way of thinking about engagement, which is how often, you know, how do they engage once they come to the site? You know, what's the frequency of of site visits? And then I think really interestingly too, you know, we have some data science behind, like what's the predicted behavior of, are they likely to be someone who purchases once a month consistently with us? Are they in a subscription program? Or maybe they spent a lot of money with us six months ago, but they haven't, opened an email. They haven't looked at the site in the, the last six months. They're probably not coming back anytime soon. And so there's different ways of thinking about what's that likelihood of purchase and the most engaged customers are someone who is just on that cusp of making that next purchase. And so it's a marriage of what do we see qualitatively? And then also what can we do with the data that we have and applying some data science on top of it.
2: So you've got the data science that's informing a lot, that's saying, you know, I'm looking at events, I'm looking at recency, frequency, I'm looking at the overall customer as I've seen it through all of these different lenses. But at the end of the day, because of where we are in the industry, you need to make me feel special as a customer. So how are you approaching personalization here in this? I mean, you've got to have the marketing, the customer engagement. How do you personalize the marketing?
0: Yeah. I think there's some basic foundational pieces and admittedly I think even ourselves we don't always get it right and I see other brands too it's like the information that I've given to you as a consumer I expect you to be acting on it so don't send me emails about a product that I just bought yesterday because it's not going to be relevant or I think the worst is retargeting ads or just following you like 24-7 24 7 across the web and that's not actually very helpful <laughs> like at least change up like the reason why I should be buying it not just showing the product over and over again so I think there is you know personalization kind of moves into that piece of it you know where we're really working towards is that idea i said earlier of we know enough about you and maybe your past purchase behavior that we can really start curating what's the experience and and recommending products that fit together into your life so that you don't have to go through every single brand and make a decision. We all have too many decisions that we're making throughout a day. So how can we make it really easy, whether it's through bundling or through suggestions, and then play it out in the actual site experience of making it super easy to purchase, to cancel to add change quantities, like some of these really fundamental things that sometimes just becomes hiccups, because we haven't really had the chance to get that experience as fluid as we would want. Mm-hmm. I
1: love that point about retargeting, because uh, one of the things that I, I always remember, I did a story when I was working for VentureBeat and it was about some retail stuff. And for three or four months after that, large floral print, women's dresses followed me everywhere on the web, everywhere I went. I mean, it was amazing. It was, it was <laughs> and, right. and, you know, your other point was super valid as well. I remember buying a pair of boots, should I say the brand? I'll say the brand, it was from All Saints. Loved them, my favorite pair of boots forever. And I got retargeted on those boots that I had just bought <laughs> for That's literally fine. the next <laughs> month and a half. I wanna ask though, how does all that data and those experience fit into customer retention?
0: I think one is who should we actually be talking to, and that's where that data science and that predictive modeling comes in, because there are consumers who are likely to purchase that really we should be putting eighty percent of our effort towards, and there are ones who maybe looked good on paper, but they're you know we could be killing ourselves and they're not coming back. So one is you know, figuring out who to target. And then also looking at what's the right channel mix. I, I am a, a firm believer that creating a surround sound for consumers is helpful. Leveraging influencers, brand partnerships, on top of the, you know, the traditional social and Google and affiliates, really having a lot of different places that have similar, but maybe slightly different messaging uh, for a consumer. So that they're really Understanding us as a brand, but then also us as a product, and getting unique perspectives across all of those. Peggy, have you heard that one before? Surround sound marketing. No, I, I love it. it. I
2: was just thinking, wow, that says it actually. I lo- I'm going to take it off you because it really does sum up exactly. Because omni-channel is like it makes you think of platforms. This is about experience. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting way of seeing it, and of course. We talk about engagement, experience. There's a difference between the long-term and the short-term. The short-term is a very different picture. Also in the channel mix, the spend, long-term, retention. But the question is how to make one into the other. Long-term customers aren't born, they're made. So how do you turn the one-time into the long-term?
0: First and foremost, It is setting the right KPIs. What are we actually working towards? And so it's not actually that earth shattering, but we know that consumers who make a second purchase are likely to be a long-term engaged consumer for us. And so that is a combination goal now between acquisition teams of making sure that we're bringing in high quality customers, because if you bring in low quality, they're not likely to get to that second purchase, even if you get a few dollars out of them. Uh, one time. And then second, you know, certainly from the retention, the CRM team of where are the journeys and what are the reminder drip campaigns and so forth that we can be putting in there to also get to that second purchase. And so that is really something that we're collectively working towards. And that kind of plays that line of it's short-term enough to be able to quickly measure, are we on track? Are we not on track? But then we also know validated by data that it has that long-term business impact.
1: Vivian, what is the organizational structure that you're building, the marketing team that you're building to support the new way of marketing and doing business that you're talking about?
0: So answer it slightly differently, actually. The core traits that I'm building within the team is this ability to be really flexible. To challenge assumptions and to have a really agile testing mindset, and also to be very collaborative, both internally within our direct to consumer group. But then a lot of our success is being collaborative and transparent with our partner, our brand partners across Clorox, so that we can be building programs together. And so those are really fundamental areas for us. The actual structure where we, yes, we've got acquisition, we've got retention, we have partnerships, brand creative, so forth. We actually keep reshuffling. How how do we staff <laughs> against supporting a bird's Bees versus supporting Renew Life or Brita? And that's probably going to continue to change as we bring on more brands from Clorox. And as we go from launching an e-commerce experience, like we just did for Brita, Brita.com did not have any native e-commerce purchasing um, functionality. And we just launched that in February of this year. So our role for direct-to-consumer is going to be really different at launch versus once it's run for a few months and kind of have that playbook. And so we're always going to be tapping different people for different skill sets. They're going to be more involved in one and then less involved in another. So it really is more about the mindset of the people that we're bringing on board and that ability to pivot, to be flexible, and keep testing so that we're constantly improving no matter what the structure is. Cool.
2: Reminds me a little bit John of Raja Rajamanar from Mastercard mm-hmm. our one of our favorite interviews this year. It was the whole idea that many skills mix them around, try things out, be multi-talented. I mean that seems to be the blueprint, yeah. the the thread running through these interviews uh, the that, Da Vinci like, marketer. The Da Vinci marketer again. Just yeah. a little different. This is shuffling the Da Vinci marketers, <laughs> but it's the same model. And I think that's in itself that tells us a lot about where we are in marketing and also, okay. you know, your role there. And I want to look at the company and take it forward a little bit. OK, so we're talking about models that will shape the future of marketing. Your D2C business is relatively young, you know, started, I think, two years ago, definitely yeah. accelerated and impacted by COVID. A lot going on, a lot of brands to bring together. Where will Clorox, the brand, be in five years, do you think?
0: Yeah, I think we are in a way foundational and COVID, I think, changed a bit of thinking and accelerated some things that may not have been otherwise, but it's fundamentally being very data-driven building a holistic data pool across the CPG enterprise level and being able to make sure that that plugs into all of the tools and processes that we have. I think that is really critical for growth in this next phase exacerbated even with cookie deprecation and iOS 14 and all of those things um, to make sure that we are still providing relevant experiences, relevant messages out to the consumer. So so that's one piece. I think it's just mm-hmm. continuing to build out that data foundation, really get that to where we want it to be. And I think also then product innovation, uh, utilizing some more of these digital tools and also direct to consumer to shorten that innovation cycle, be able to test very quickly. Brita, which I mentioned earlier, we were able to launch that e-commerce capability within five months, you know, a, a traditional, and that involved a, a new SKU in there as well. And you know, a traditional CPG company, any of them, a new product probably is nine to 12 months to launch because you have to get it right. You get it onto the shelves of Target and Walmart, it's your one shot. Direct-to-consumer, you can be way more nimble. You can you know, even have a product that doesn't exist yet put it out there, see if there's engagement, and then go develop it, right? And so yeah, I think that is one thing that you know we'll start to see more of in the next few years. And then it, it's that cross-brain connection that we've talked about a lot, um, figuring out you know, that really does require a world that's not just in retail, that is a little bit more omni-channel, that requires the brands to collaborate together and then to also understand the consumer so that we are properly curating. Mm
2: -hmm. But you said it yourself, the retailer is a part of that ecosystem. It is your partner. How are you going to do this without alienating your retail partners? Because they have been exactly that. They're your physical shelves. You're going out building digital shelves. There's gonna be some tension there. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. yeah, I'm very excited for this future for for Clorox, and I think you see a lot of the CPG companies kind of moving this way. There is tension, but I also think that there's a recognition of, among everyone that consumers want to buy products, they want to have that choice. They don't want to be forced to only go into retailers. And there's value for all of us if we're able to, curate experiences for certain customers. Even if you have, let's say, subscription product delivered to your house, that doesn't mean you aren't sometimes going to go into Target. And because you had a good experience with this product, you aren't going to go grab it when you're there on a shopping trip. So I actually think that these are not necessarily competitive, that these can be symbiotic. And if I'm really talking about, you know, Things that I would dream about is more data sharing, even with the retailers back and forth to understand the consumer and really to figure out what products make sense for a target to carry in a specific demographic, you know, a specific DMA and which ones don't make sense. And we should be, you know, available only on Amazon or on the brand.com experience.
1: Vivian, this has been really interesting. It's been really informative and a lot of fun as well. And as we talked kind of before starting the recording, it's really neat to see somebody who's come from a very digital, very technical, very data-driven background and take that into the brand area, into the brand space, and then use that as well as some of the traditional brand uh, mindset, thinking, and marketing strategies as well. Super interesting. I want to end on a bit of a personal note If you could go back in time and tell younger you, just starting her career as a marketer, one thing, what would it be?
0: Picking one is going to be tough. (laughs) (laughs) I may cheat here. Go ahead. You're allowed to cheat. I mean, one, I think is, is absolutely like follow the data. So being very data proficient, both as a marketer, but then understanding the analytics, even the finance behind it, I think that is increasingly important. And you've seen even the role required for a CMO to, you know, how much they've had to, you know, start thinking about data and being able to justify investments and so forth. And so I think that's a a really critical one. And the second is, I think it's, you know, chase the experience and we're going to learn more than the buzziest, you know, name out there or, you know, even titles. Like, I think that is what's ultimately going to be the most fulfilling and also set, you know, set people up for that next step. And I kind of seen it throughout my own career, I'd say mine was just a more happy coincidences than intentional. And so looking back, I think that's, a, that's the piece of advice that I would have.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. And where is this mythical dog? Where, where is this
0: dog? <laughs> Let you, me it? go grab her real quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: this has been a wonderful uh, interview. I've really enjoyed it, Peggy. I hope you have as well.
0: Yeah, I've oh, no. got a, a cover nine months. This is Piper.
1: Wow. Oh, Piper, this is your moment. This is your 10 seconds in the spotlight. Hello. <laughs> Piper's not having it.
0: Well, she she's not happy that I woke her up from her nap oh, to bring her up on
1: camera. So it's sorry. all part of
2: the experience, Vivian, right? <laughs> we make nice it real. Party. Yes, I love it. It's a great conversation, Vivian. I really enjoyed, and now I have a different view of D2C, really, because I thought it was like the channel and the stuff. But we're talking about different models. You're talking about subscription. You're very into storytelling. This is going to be exciting to follow what brands do, John. I mean, this Uh, is going to change a lot, change a lot, because... That is the brand love, right? Mm -hmm, And if you mm -hmm. can bring it direct and still keep everything going in the ecosystem, that's just a very interesting model. Some great experience as a consumer. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. It can't just be about shopping, Vivian, right? (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs) Vivian, thank you so much for taking this time to spend with us. It has been truly enjoyable. I hope you've enjoyed it as well.
0: Yes, this has been so much fun for me. So thank you both.